Thank you, Nigel, and thank you. Um, it's such a privilege to uh, be able to uh, share the Word of God and uh, something that comes you know, out of my own heart from studying this passage this morning. Now, I don't know how many of you were here first thing. I don't think there were, it was everybody here this the first thing when Nigel actually read this passage. So I'm just going to ask if our wonderful Tom can put up um, just the first bit, the next one, I think. The, um, got it? Oh, yeah, brilliant. Okay. Um, so this is the passage. It's from Mark, the book of Mark, um, and it's chapter 11. And it's about um, the fig tree, Jesus cursing the fig tree and, um, and cleansing the temple. Um, and I was, um, when I began to, to uh, read about this, this passage, um, it kept saying, this is the most difficult passage in the gospel <laughs> that we're going to look at. And I'm thinking, thank you, Sam. Thank you very much for giving me the most difficult passage in the gospel, gospel to understand. Anyway, I don't think it's, it, I think we'll get there, but um, let's just, um, why don't you just, re- can everybody see that? Yeah? Okay. So I'll just let you read it. I'll just give you kind of a minute to read it. Um, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. Everybody familiar with that? No, you've got about halfway through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give you a bit longer. <laughs> we all right now. Okay, well, you can carry on reading while I'm talking, all right? <laughs> okay, so um, when I, you know, when we come to, um, to look at the word, um, there are two main things. Um, somebody asked me, what, what is your purpose in preaching this morning? And I thought, well, you know, we really want to engage with God, don't we? We want to engage with his word on a personal level and a corporate level. Because the word is living and active and powerful. And if we don't engage with it, then, you know, where do we go? How do we know what we're doing? So we want to get engage with the word personally. We want God to speak to us. It's dynamic. It's living. It's rele- relevant for every single person in this room. It's amazing. This, this word that we can engage with is a, is a story, but it's, but it's actually, you know, it's about engaging with it ourselves. Otherwise, it's just words on the page, and it's just another story. So we want to engage with it, and we want to impl- apply the message to our lives. We want the Lord to come by his Spirit and churn us inside and point his light at whatever needs pointing at, whether it's to encourage us, whether to bless us, to challenge us, whatever that is. So that's the aim this morning. Do you all agree? We've got an amen for that. Wonderful. Okay. So as we come to this, um, this very difficult passage, um, I thought it would be uh, sort of good to have a context first, because when we look at passage in the Bible, it's always good to know the context first. Now, Mark is sometimes called the gospel to the Gentiles. So you have to remember that Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four gospels, they're telling the same stories, aren't they? Or a lot of the same stories, but they each have a different, slightly different angle, different focus, because the person who's bringing the message is involved with the message. And that is what's so amazing about the word of God. So me today coming to you, bringing this word, it's me involved with the message. And that happens for each of us. So his, his involvement, his his focus is on the Gentiles. Do you know what Gentiles are? Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile, okay? Um, so they were kind of, the Gentiles were not the chosen people in that sense, okay? So the Gentiles were the, almost the other, the outside. 
So that speaks to a lot of us, because a lot of us feel like we're on the outside sometimes, don't we? Yeah? So it comes after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem for Passover, which Sam so helpfully um, led us through the other week. Um, and following this, so this passage sits after that. It follows after what comes afterwards is a test for Jesus about his authority, and then lots of teachings that he gives which includes this long word, eschatological teaching. That means the end times, the future, what's about to come. And he's preparing his disciples in in that teaching. And then comes the anointing at Bethany, the Last Supper, Gethsemane, where he's preparing himself for what's to come. So he's preparing his disciples, he's preparing himself. And in a sense, this passage is about, is part of that preparation And then comes the betrayal, the arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection. And Jesus knows that this is coming, and he lives this out through everything he says and everything he does. Jesus is intentional, and we're going to see as we go through the passage. Jesus is really intentional about what he's going to do. It doesn't happen to him by accident. He determines things. He asked for the colt the donkey, yeah? He asked his disciples to prepare the Passover. He knew what was coming. He talked about his death. And all his actions and his words proceed out of his identity and his purpose. He has a definite message, and we're going to see what that message is today. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning first slide. We've done that one. So let's go to the second one. Okay, so when I look at a a passage of scripture, I find it helpful to ask myself some questions. What's happened? That's quite a useful one. What's happened in this? What do I notice? Is there anything that kind of strikes me about this? What might be difficult to understand? Do I understand all the words that are being used? Do I understand what's happened in the story? Do I understand the implications? What does this passage tell me about Jesus? Now today, this is really obvious because it is all about Jesus, but sometimes, you know, when we're looking at an Old Testament passage, for example, it's not immediately obvious that Jesus is there, but I can assure you that in every single word of Scripture, Jesus is there, and we should look for him. And then fourthly, what does this mean for me? Because it's all very well studying any Scripture and any word, But unless it applies to me, unless we allow the Holy Spirit to do that work and take that word and apply it to me, well, what's the point, really? (laughs) Yeah? We're to go out there with it, take it out there. Okay. So, let's go back to that, um, that, the, the, that's it, the one again. Does anybody have immediately any questions that they want answered as they've read through that passage. Are there any questions raised, any issues, any meanings, anything that strikes you as odd, anything that you notice? Yep. Exactly. Okay, so we have a fig tree being cursed. It's not his fault. Why is he doing it? Yeah, okay, right. Next one. Same question. Okay, this seems to be a, a, <laughs> a question that people want answered. Any, anything else that anybody notices? Yes, Marta. You don't think he was having a good day? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, so fig trees and churning up the temple, it all sounds very churned. 
very sort of, yes, it sounds like he wasn't having a good day. Okay, good point. Anything else? Anybody else notice? Yes. Yep. Great. Okay. So something about faith and something about Jesus' authority. Yes? Okay. Anything else being noticed? John? You were thinking, John thinks he was having a good day. Okay, we've got some dispute over here. <laughs> Always good to have a good debate. What do you found? Right, okay. Right. So John says that what he found in the temple really hurt to the very core of who he was. Yeah, Sarah. that it says and his disciples heard him say it um just like really strikes me because it's completely it's like a separate which means there's been more perhaps a bit more emphasis on it like why is it really important that um it was stressed that the disciples heard it and throughout the passage it's a lot about the relationship between what the disciples understand and sometimes they're there sometimes they're not so that kind of makes you think the relation the disciples understanding of it's really important because they wouldn't have put on a separate sentence otherwise so why? Okay, so something about, you know, when, when this is written, it's there for a reason. So let's look for the reason, yeah? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Great, okay, so one more thing. Oh, we're coming thick and fast, yes. Exigent. So he asked, uh, for example, to the tree to give some fruit, as we are Christian and we have to give some fruit. He asked also um, to have a behavior in his house, in his temple. It's not um, because at first uh, the money tra- trade and it was very good for good giving gift. Sorry, I'm a little bit stressed <laughs> to give gift to God. But um, the gift became the main subject in the temple. So um, prayer has his place in the temple and it's the main place and everything should serve this prayer and God. And also we can see that he asked us to have some faith. So give fruit to be obedient and have some faith to God and also to, um, to be very exigent and have well behavior in his temple. Great. I think we've got some preachers here in this uh, congregation because <laughs> um, we've got lots of ideas coming. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, anybody notice anything about the construction of this passage? thank you scott (laughs) i've had to read it a few times preparing for this anything no say anything about the construction no okay all right so we've got how many stories have we got here have we three okay we've got three yeah i think we sort of got two main themes really but they're in a sandwich you notice that so mark puts them in a sandwich so he has fig tree he has temple, and then he has fig tree again. Yeah? And I think that suggests that actually Mark was in, suggesting that they were part of the same theme. We'll come to that theme in a minute. But it's a sort of, it's a, you know, the construction is important. And we can notice that sometimes when you look at a passage. You know, just look at how it's put together. What's, li- what's not there? What is there? Um, so these are all the kinds of questions that we can ask. Great. Okay, so let's just go to um, the next sort of colourful bit of that. Right, here we go. So here I sort of um, outlined a few things that um, I've sort of picked out from the passage that might need a little bit of explanation. 
And I've decided to take them in the two themes, the two blocks, so the fig tree and the temple. So if you, if you just indulge me for a moment, and we'll just stick to those, those two themes kind of as they are, rather than as Mark sort of laid them out. So first of all, um, he curses this fig tree. So they were, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, so he, Jesus had come to Jerusalem, and if you remember, he'd, he'd come in all this incredible, um, you know, the crowds out for him, he'd come with all this triumph, people were expecting him like he was, you know, the saviour, he was going to do something, probably they were expecting something political, something going to really shift and change, um, and then what he does is he goes to the temple area, and he just looks at it, and then he goes away. I think Sam mentioned this the other day. So no, a bit of an anticlimax, really. But I was going to suggest to you that that was entirely intentional by Jesus. Entirely intentional. He came as in this great pomp, but differently, came on a, on a donkey, came on a colt, which suggested a king of peace, not a king of war. And then he came, and there was a sort of anticlimax. So he didn't... He wasn't going with the expectations of the crowd. He had his own agenda. So he looks at the temple, he sees what's going on, and then he goes away. And he goes to Bethany. So maybe Jerusalem was crowded because it was Passover. Maybe he came away, you know, because he wanted to be with his friends. We don't know. But he went to Bethany. He didn't stay in Jerusalem. Bethany was very close. It was only like less than a couple of miles away. So not very, not very far away. And it says that Jesus was hungry. So had he not been fed? Who'd been looking after him? He was probably at home of Martha and Mary, who we know Martha was very keen on feeding. So why was he hungry? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that, but it's interesting. He was hungry. Um, maybe it suggested a spiritual hunger as well. Um, maybe, the, 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 maybe he'd chosen to fast. We don't know, but he was hungry. Um, and then he went to find out if the fig tree had any fruit. Now, Jesus wasn't stupid. He knew it wasn't the season for figs, didn't he? So what was he looking for? Well, there are some, ex- there are some possible explanations of this. There is, um, th- there's various sort of flowerings of the fig tree. So the, fl- the, c- the fig tree produces its main fruit in June. But it does produce a pre-fruit. Okay? A, pr- a pre-fruit, which is called, let me see if I can find it, uh, a tach. There we are. A tach. T-A-K-S-H, but it won't be, you know whatever that is. And that little fruit, it's an early crop of fruit that would come around that time, and it would be like a precursor to the main fruit. So it would tell you if the tree was fruitful. And I think that's probably what he was going for, because Jesus wasn't, he wasn't going to look for the main fruit, because it wasn't that time of year, and anyway, it says that, it wasn't the season for figs. But it also suggests that the, the, the disciples at the time had been a little bit surprised by what, what you know, but by Jesus saying this. But you know, this is a possibility that he was going for this pre-fruit, which was this small fruit, which was um, commonly eaten by um, people who were kind of wandering past. Maybe were quite were, were quite hungry, so people, poor people would eat these kind of fruits. Um, they just pick them off the trees. Um, so we have this symbolism of this, um, this fig tree. And so we have this, sorry, we have the practical fig tree. And then we have the, the, the suggestion of some symbolism here. So there were things that were kind of, you know, there were questions to ask about it. So when there are questions to ask about something, 
it's, it's good to look for whether there's a, a meaning behind. Okay, and I think there was a meaning behind. Now, does anybody know in the Bible what the fig tree represents? It's used lots of times, yes. Yeah, okay. So the fig tree, like the vine was another one, was commonly used for, as a symbol for Israel. There were other ones like flocks of sheep and you know, things like that. But in terms, of, in terms of fruit and plants, it was about... Uh, it, the fig tree was used for um, as a representation of Israel. And um, there's a couple of... I think the next slide will show a couple of um, passages here, a couple of examples. So this is one from Joel. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. It's interesting, isn't it? Hosea 9.10, when I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert when I saw your ancestors. It was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. This is God speaking. But when they came to Baal Peor, which is where they made the golden calf, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. So these are a couple of allusions that Jesus might have been referring to. Jesus was steeped, don't forget, in the Old Testament. He knew, he'd have known it all by heart. He lived out of the Old Testament. These references are important. When he does things and says things, it means something. Okay? It refers back to what's written in the scriptures. So, and then we come on to, if we go back to, back again, back, 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 there, okay. So, then we come to the withering. Okay, so, if, if, if the fig tree represents Israel, and there's no fruit, then the consequence, the natural consequence, if you like, of a tree that's not bearing fruit, is that it will wither and die. It doesn't reproduce itself. It withers and dies. It looks promising, it's got all these lovely leaves, but there's no fruit, so it won't reproduce, and it will die. Now, clearly, this tree withered in a very short time. <laughs> this was a miraculous event. And it was miraculous, I think, because Jesus was making a point. He was showing something. Yeah, he was making a point, And he was making a connection between a fruitless tree and the judgment of death. It's quite sobering, that. Okay. So then I think it makes more sense when we move on to the next story. Um, so hang on, Let, let's just carry on with this. So some, a few people made allusion, um, reference to the prayer, the aspect of prayer. And I'm not going to go into um, prayer in detail because we could spend a whole sermon on doing that. But um, Jesus refer, says, Truly I say to you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes, it will be done for them. Okay, does that mean that we can all say to a mountain, move and it will move? Is that what it means? Possibly not. Say again? When we have faith. Okay. So I think what the, this mountain into the sea is, is actually a quote um, that was used very frequently at the time by rabbis. Okay, so it was a quote. And the, and the mountain represented an obstacle. So, you know, rabbis would say this, you know, you can... You, you, you can move a mountain, you can uproot a mountain. And that was a, a symbol of, of something that was an obstacle. So it could represent any obstacle. 
And of course, if we, yes, if we have faith, what Jesus was saying, if you have faith, then anything that God wants you to move, you can move. But not because of you, but because of him. Yeah? But faith is a prerequisite. So faith is the important thing. And he's also slightly rebuking his disciples, isn't he? You know, Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Woo! <laughs> and Jesus is saying, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> look, look at me, who I am. Of course it's withered. If I tell it to wither, it'll wither. <laughs> so let's have faith in the one who can move mountains. Yeah? Okay. So um, let's go on to the next um, the next part, that's right. So prayer, here we go. So Mamsterinity, prerequisite of fruit of prayer is faith and forgiveness. Because he's not going to do that. If your heart isn't clean, if you don't know from the very beginning that you are there because of him and you are cleansed because of him, then that's actually God, you know, is God going to to look at that if we're not if we're not understanding that our very in our very being we need to be forgiven and we need to release forgiveness to others okay fine next one so then we move on to the um, is that is that everything have i have i sort of answered people's questions that they were asking about the fig tree do you understand have i done that to people's satisfaction the ones who are asking about the fig tree yeah do you get what i was saying cool okay Right, so the next thing is about the temple, what Jesus does in the temple. On reaching Jerusalem, so he's, remember he's walked from Bethany, Jesus entered the temple courts. So he left, the, it was the last thing he did before he left the day before, and it's the first thing he goes back to. So do you think he intended to do what he did? I think he intended, I think he intended to do what he did. So He'd, he'd seen what he'd seen, and then he came back the next day, and he knew what he was going to do. And what's he just been talking about with the fig tree? He's been talking about judgment, hasn't he? That fig tree was judged for not bearing fruit. What's he about to do in the temple? The same, yeah. Yeah, the same. So I think this is entirely intentional. He entered the temple courts. He began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Let me just explain what the courts meant. Okay, so this courts it refers to specifically to the courts of the Gentiles. If you go to the next slide, it should have a pretty picture. Yes, here we go. Okay, so this is what this is a representation of what the temple area looked like. This is Solomon's temple. So in the centre is the actual sort of temple itself. Um, I don't have a pointer, so I can't point, really. But anyway, um, Sam's got one. <laughs> Sam, the techno, yay. Well. So you can sort of, that, that sort of uh, bit up there. Oh, thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Sam. The middle button, bottom. Yes, okay. So can you see that red dot? Okay, so that's the, that's the Holy of Holies and the temple bit proper. And then this bit here is, uh, where are we? The court of the, the outer court court of the women and then outer here is the court of the gentiles so this is the outer bit you can see it's right outside the temple okay you just uh, oh yeah here we go it says it here so number seven there we go number seven that's the court of the women so it's inside the sort of central temple area but it was still outside of this one which is where the altar and the the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices happened and then through that door proper is only where the priest went okay 
So, and then out of here is the court of the Gentiles, this big area here, okay? Everybody understand that? Thank you, Sam. Okay, so what happened in the court of the Gentiles? The court of the Gentiles was a place where people who were not Jews could come and pray and meet with God. And what had happened is that the, that the, um, the, the money changers and the sellers of animals, the sacrifice, occupied that whole area. It was such big business. It was massive business. The money changers were there because you had to translate, you transfer your money into the, the correct money for the, to pay the temple tax. Okay? So you, first of all, you had that exchange. And then you had to buy an animal. If you brought your animal, you could, buy, you could actually bring your animals. You were supposed to be able to bring them. But because the priests had to check the animals to make sure that they were good enough without defect, you can imagine a little bit of, a little bit, yeah, a little bit of underhand dealing there. Oh, no, that dove's not good enough. It's got a little speck there. Or that, you, know, you can see what would have happened. It was much more lucrative for them to sell their own animals than to allow people to come and bring their own there are stories of, um, there's one reference to one merchant who in one day sold 3,000 sheep in that area. 3,000 sheep. This was a really, really busy place. Was there any room for the Gentiles to come and pray in peace and quiet and meet with God? Not a lot. <laughs> Not a lot. Okay. So do you, can you see how Jesus would have been upset by that? The temple was a reflection of God and his beauty and his character. It was a place where anyone was supposed to be able to come. And they had turned it into, what he said, a den of robbers. Now, one of the other useful things you can do when you're looking at a passage from the Bible is compare it with other parts of the Bible. So when you find a story in the Gospels, you will often find it in other Gospels. And this one is in all the Gospels. It's in a slightly different order in John. So the story of the turning over the um, uh, tables in the, in the temple comes right at the beginning of the book of John. And I don't think we need to worry about that because, you know, chronology isn't the only way to tell a story. You don't that telling something in order isn't the only way to tell a story, is it? Okay? If you're wanting to give a message over, you can tell it in different orders. So order matters, but if you're trying to get a particular message across, then the order of it doesn't necessarily matter that much, and it doesn't invalidate John's gospel just because he's got it in a different place from other people, from the other gospels, okay? Just so he's got a different message. Um, and in fact, John um, refers when the d- disciples notice what Jesus does after he's turned over the, 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 cha- the, tem- the tables, the, the, the quote that they refer to there is from Psalm 69, for the zeal for your house consumes me. Remember that? And the insults of those you insult falls on me. That's the little passage that is quoted there. But when Mark looks at it, um, he's coming from a slightly different perspective, I think. I think he's looking at it at the, the, the disgust that Jesus felt for having turned this temple that was for everyone, turned the, 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 the welcome for Gentiles into a place where they were pushed out because of dodgy dealing. 
So if we go on to the next slide past the... Here we go. So here's a quote. This is, what, this is where Jesus takes his quote from, and we need to wake up and listen when Jesus uses words, because as I said before, they're usually a reference to something else. He, re- he is referring to Isaiah chapter 56. Let no foreigner... This is so moving, this. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister... Who's is that? Bleepy thing. And <laughs> Sorry. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I mean, the heart of God for us. Isn't that amazing? That is just amazing. That was God's heart for the temple. He wanted people to know that they could be sons and daughters and have a name, an everlasting name. And when Jesus saw what was going on, he was angry in his heart. That is our God. He's passionate for us. He's so passionate that, we want, that he wants us to know him. I put in brackets there, they, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Jesus didn't refer to that bit. He didn't say that bit. Probably because he was about to become the sacrifice. Yeah. My house will be called the house of prayer. Next slide. And this one as well. Similar. This is, this is um, the reference to the den of robbers. This is the other bit. Will you, Jeremiah 7 verse 11. Will you steal and murder commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. See how God feels about this? This is the same heart in Jesus. And then it goes on to say, and now we might understand why they wanted to kill him after he'd said this. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made a dwelling for my name and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name, the temple you trust in, the place I gave to you and your ancestors. See what's coming? See what Jesus is saying? He's saying that what God did to them, to Shiloh, that was the place where Eli was the the priest, yeah, and they lost it, it was destroyed. What God did to them... He's going to do to the temple. And anybody know what happened in 70 AD? 
the temple. The temple was destroyed. The temple was destroyed by the Romans so that nothing was left on top of each other. No stone was left. And Jesus was prophesying this. And no wonder the religious leaders were upset with him because they knew what he was saying when he called them this. Yeah, they knew their scriptures. They knew what he was saying. So, quickly to sort of wrap, um, come to the end, let's go to the next um, slide. Um, what does this tell me about Jesus? Let's have some answers. What does, what does this, what does this passage tell you about Jesus? What have we talked about? Any, anybody got any ideas? Got to finish soon. What? Absolutely. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Yes. Jesus lived out of who he was. He initiates activity with deliberate meaning and intention. He delivers his message through prophetic enactment and acted out parables. He has the authority to act and the right to judge. And these two stories together definitely speak of his authority to judge. Only God is judge. And as you quite rightly said. So, what was the message that Jesus was giving? John's got a comment. Sorry, John. Missed you there. Yeah. Absolutely. It does. It does. So this next, um, this next thing is just a, like a, a, a summary of all this that we've talked about. Jesus is king. Okay, this is what Jesus was saying. He's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's king. He's a new kind of king. He's one coming in peace. He's one coming in humility and to serve. Very different from what was expected. Jesus is declaring himself the Messiah, the fulfillment of messianic prophecies. Zechariah, the, the cult, Malachi 3 um, is another direct reference to the Lord coming. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. He's judge. Jesus judged the fig tree. He judged the religious leaders. He, he, yeah, and he fulfilled basically the words of those prophecies that we had um, up on the screen a minute ago. Jesus' kingdom, as John quite rightly said, is for all. He cares about the ones on the outside. It's for everyone. And lastly, Jesus is worthy of our faith and our trust. He's the one who moves mountains. He's the one who has the authority to judge. He's the one who can do things. So just finally, very last slide, um, what I want you to take away t- um, today, and I don't know if we've got two minutes for people to think about these. Yeah. So what, I'd really, what I really was hoping for is just to spend a few minutes in quiet. If you just bring up these questions here, how does this apply to us? Am I trusting him? Is there anything he's watching in me? What's the Holy Spirit got his light on in you? Am I representing him with integrity like Jesus did? Am I exploiting anyone else? Am I adding things to his gospel of grace? Am I saying you need to do this when actually all Jesus says is come? 
is there any hidden sin in my life that I want to be free of? And I just want us to spend a few minutes in quiet, asking ourselves maybe one of those questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and to show you if there's anything he wants you to think about. Now, we are not standing under judgment with the Lord. We belong to the Lord. He is our Father. Yes, he disciplines us, but that discipline is in love. So let's allow him to do that in love, not because we stand under judgment and condemnation. Yeah? So let's just spend a few minutes thinking about those things. If anyone um, wants to um, come for ministry afterwards, um, maybe ca- carrying on thinking about those, those questions and wanting prayer um, that's led from that, please do feel free to come t- forward at the end of the service.